I'm deeply honored by being asked to speak today, and I have to say I'm a little bit nervous because I'm not sure I'm qualified to talk about experiencing God at work. As Steve mentioned, I, I do have kind of experience and expertise in the work part, but I'm a bit nervous about the experiencing God part because we go to this you know, amazing church, this Vineyard Christian Fellowship, and people have had some unbelievable experiences of God, some amazing stuff has happened in people's lives, and I, you know, I feel like maybe my experience of God is too subtle compared to that. But I didn't choose myself, so it's not my fault. <laughs> I think of Dave Schmelzer, our founding pastor. He's someone I admire and look up to, uh, even though he's now in California. And I remember when he would be standing here, he'd often say something like, well, I was thinking about this, and, and I was talking with God, and I felt like God was kind of saying, and, and then he'd say what, what God was saying to him, uh, sort of like Harry Potter and Professor Dumbledore in that train station, you know, just talking to each other, you know, except that Dumbledore is not God. But aside from that, this sense of hearing God's words, not in a kind of spooky way, but just a verbal sense of God's presence. And I remember thinking, I wish God would talk to me that way. But the fact is that doesn't really happen, not, not very much. Instead, let me tell you about the first time I was really longing to experience God's presence. It was the summer I turned 15. I was working at a, a work camp in, uh, called the Appalachia Service Project with my youth group. I was wrestling with whether I wanted to accept Jesus for myself. So one evening after work, I went on this long walk in the woods, and I was just asking God, you know, please tell me, what should I do? And, you know, or just say something like, hi, I'm here. But I didn't hear any words from God that night. I do remember that in the morning, I realized that I was a believer. So something happened to me, but it didn't, wasn't like having a talk with God. I didn't experience God's presence that way. Anyway, the main reason we were in Appalachia wasn't to go on walks with God. It was to fix up people's houses. And my team was working on Mr. Saylor's house, way up in a holler above Pineville, Kentucky. And I was replacing the porch on the, uh, the, the floor on the front porch. Now, Mr. Saylor was in a wheelchair because of black lung he got from working in the coal mines. And his house was kind of slung on the side of a mountain. And the porch was, the whole floor of the house was, you know, a, a long way up from the ground. So Mr. Saylor couldn't get down from the porch unless somebody carried him. So for him to have an outdoor porch that he could roll his wheelchair onto, that was his only way of getting outdoors. My job was to pull up the nails in the old rotten floorboards and then underneath that to knock out the old rotten joists and put new ones in. And uh, I, my dad had taught me, you know, carpentry. So I looked at it and I thought, okay, that's about a two-day job. But at the end of day two, all I had managed to do was tear up the old porch. And now he had nothing. So I wasn't feeling all that great about the work I was doing. And then after we went back to the camp and had dinner, like every night, my muscles were just sore. I mean, I was kind of in pain. Sometimes my muscles were even shaking. So I couldn't say I was feeling like that much pleasure in my work. But wouldn't you know it, those sore muscles were the place 
I did feel God's presence. The work, the work I was doing physically seemed real to me. And I felt like I was doing it for God, mostly because our youth pastor kept telling us we were doing it for God. But because I could feel the work in my bones, it did feel real. It did feel like God was there. My faith was something I was doing and I experienced, I actually experienced God in the actions of hammering and sawing, or even just in the, in the feeling of, you know, being sore. So to this day, whenever I hear this passage from Matthew 25, 21, this is the first passage on your um, sheet. Whenever I feel hear this passage, well done, good and faithful servant, I see it, or I feel it, in the context of nailing wood. Like, like that's the work God is praising. Now, in fact, this passage is actually praising a different kind of work. It's praising the work of financial investing. But when I hear it, I feel like it's praising the work of, you know, working with your hands. And since Jesus was a carpenter, I figure maybe I'm not that far off. Years later, someone finally explained what was happening to me. And you can think of two dimensions of experiencing God's presence. And one dimension is mental and physical, a spectrum from all in your mind to all, I mean all mental, to all physical. And another is words versus no words. And when you put them on a matrix like this, you get four quadrants, is that there? Now they told me at first service it's kind of small, so, uh, so I'll tell you what they are, I'll just read the words. So a mental experience with words is like conversational prayer, like what Dave, would often, Dave Smeltz would often talk about. And then a mental experience without words would be like watching a sunset, like feeling God's presence in nature. And then uh, a physical experience with words would be like vineyard worship, dancing, singing, jumping, leaping, you know, that kind of exuberant, even just singing, I think, is a physical experience. And it's got words, you know, we're usually singing words about Jesus. And then no words and physical is like building a porch or repairing a porch. I had to put this up because after I got the MBA, but before I became an Episcopal priest, I worked for a management consulting company. And the two by two matrix is management consulting's one gift to the intellectual patrimony of humanity. So there it is. But I, it did help me a lot thinking about this idea that you can experience God in the physical and it doesn't have to be with words. By the way, I don't mean that you have to be silent to experience God that way. I just mean that the words, there's not words about God. The experience of God doesn't come through the words. So like if you're repairing a porch and you say, please pass me the nails, it doesn't spoil the experience. Now, this, came out, this turned out to be important for understanding God at work because so much of what we do at work is physical. And even if it's mental, most of what we do at most jobs, you know, unless you work in a church or a church organization, is, is not with words about God. So when it comes to experiencing God at work, these quadrants that are either physical or not with words about God can be a pretty important way for experiencing God at work. It could be repairing a porch. It could be climbing a mountain. You could drive someone to the doctor's office. You could brush your mother's hair. You could enter data. You could ring up a sale. You could cook dinner. 
You could clean the house. You could write a progress review. Those are all ways of experiencing God's presence in your work that, don't, that aren't about God. You're experiencing God without words about God. Now, in this sense, God is not talking to you, but God is present. And this brings us to the first fill-in-the-blank in your program. There are many ways of experiencing God's presence. Some are focused on words, while some are focused on actions. And different people tend to lean towards different ways of experiencing God. Now what I'd like to do is talk for the rest of the time some examples of experiencing God's, experiencing God's presence at work through these different possibilities. And to do that, I'm going to use three categories that if you heard that talk I gave um, in January of last year, I used the same categories, so, so those might be familiar. But this time I want to talk about experiencing God, uh, and I'll use these categories to organize the examples. And the first category is experiencing God's presence in your work through your gifts and abilities or your skills. One way of experiencing God's presence in your work is through your gifts and abilities. An example of this is Eric Little from the movie Chariots of Fire. And, and as you might know, the characters in this movie were real. The, the events were real. And so as, as we see this scene, Eric is preparing to go to China as a missionary with his sister Jenny. But he's also training for the 1924 Olympics. And his sister complains that he's insulting God by postponing going to China. Now her experience of God is mostly mental with words. And she's so excited about experiencing God's word that she wants to go to China and share God's word with people. That's great. And Eric wants to do that too. But it's not the only way of experiencing God. And Eric says to her, God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. Well, when I saw that movie, I thought, wow, when he runs, he feels like, believe me, I have never felt pleasure in running. <laughs> it hurts, and then it hurts more. But I, I got it, this feeling, I feel God's pleasure in my body. Now, to understand what Eric means completely, you have to remember that all of our skills and abilities are gifts from God. No matter how hard you might train or work or study or develop your skills and your abilities, ultimately they're gifts from God. And that's what the second scripture on your handout is about. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And then the passage goes on to list some examples of the different gifts God gives people. Running is not one of the examples in this passage. But Eric knew that all of our abilities and skills come from God. So taking pleasure in your particular abilities, gifts, skills, is a way of experiencing God's presence, or it could be. And so this brings us to the next fill in the blank on your program. An example of this in the Bible is when Jesus' disciples fed 5,000 people. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a bit from the next passage on your um, program. Late in the afternoon, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. 
Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus told them, you feed them. Don't send them away. You feed them. Now, the thing to remember is that most of Jesus' disciples were food service professionals. Right? They were fishermen and fish sellers. So telling a food service professional to feed people is not a random miracle. It's a miracle that intensifies the gifts and skills, the abilities that God had been giving these people all their working lives. And they used their experience to rustle up a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread, and then they start passing it around, food service professionals feeding people, and everybody gets fed, even though there's 5,000 people. It was a miracle. And it came about when the disciples used their everyday skills and abilities while experiencing God's presence, Jesus' presence. I think this is a great passage in the Bible, not only because of what happens there, but because the feeding of the 5,000 people is a precursor to the Last Supper. And that's when Jesus had his food service professionals, disciples, prepare one more meal. And to this very day, you and I can still experience God's presence in the Lord's Supper when we have communion together. And it all goes back to these food professionals ex exercising their gifts and abilities in God's presence. And we experience God's presence today too. Pretty cool. Now I've experienced God's presence using my gifts and skills too, although I don't always notice it or recognize it. My job now is basically to organize writing by committee. As Steve said, I'm the editor of the Theology of Work Project, and that consists of a, a committee of 15 people from around the world, plus about 100 other people who have been guest writers and guest reviewers. And together, we're all writing materials about how to apply the Bible and the Christian faith to ordinary work. So I've got all these smart, accomplished, strong-willed scholars, executives, business people, and they all have opinions, and their opinions all disagree. My job is to find a way to get their, fit, their, ex, their skills and expertise to fit together, to have their opinions work together instead of in opposition. And it turns out to be a pretty good match with my God-given abilities. Over the years, I've discovered that God keeps giving me the skill of gathering people who disagree or who think they disagree and bringing together the different perspectives to find a new and innovative whole. You know, that the, what do they say? The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Now, in this particular job, that, that set of skills is mostly mental with words because we're working on scripture, so it's all about God's word. And I'm not sure I can really describe exactly what it is I do or even how, how I do it, but I can tell you I enjoy it. I love this work. When things come together, when we agree on how to say something or we explore the meaning of a passage of Scripture, what it means to ordinary work, when that happens or when we, when we finish an article or you know, publish a book, it feels great. The only thing I can compare it to is a jigsaw puzzle. When you finally find the right piece, that feeling of 
Like, you know, ah, you know how I mean. You, you felt that feeling. It's, it's an actual feeling, it, right? It feels good. It's in your body. What if the feeling you get from putting a jigsaw together or putting things together, doing your work, is actually an experience of God's pleasure in your work? What if you could recognize God's presence, God's pleasure, every time you feel your pleasure of doing something using your skills and abilities? When dinner comes out delicious, when you make the sale to someone who can really use your product, when the student you're teaching makes the connection, when that light clicks, when you complete a project on time, you know, even when you vacuum up the last dust bunny, what if you could feel God's pleasure? This kind of pleasure, this kind of simple pleasure, happens in my work almost every day in small ways, sometimes really small ways. And it happens once or twice a week, or maybe once or twice a month, in significant ways. And I even feel it once or twice a year in something major, like, you know, like publishing a book. Or, or holding a conference, or you know, whatever my job is that's, that's, I feel like an accomplishment. So it's happening all these times, all these ways, yet I seldom recognize it for what it is. I seldom realize, oh, I'm experiencing God's presence, even though it's there. So how can you get better at recognizing God this way? You can develop this way of experiencing God by thanking God when you are making use of the skills that God gives you by thanking God when you're using the skills he gives you. There's something about thanks that makes the experience stick. Maybe it's because it reminds you that God is the source of your abilities, so every time you use them, it's connecting you to God. Somehow, thanking God opens the door in your soul to experience God's presence in your work. Thanking God develops your ability to experience God's presence presence, God's pleasure when you run. Let's move on to the second category. Another way of experiencing God's presence at work is to meet real needs. To meet real needs. An example of this in the Bible is Moses. And this is the next passage on your program. The Lord said to Moses, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Now, like Moses, for some people, like me, the experience of God's presence is especially powerful when it happens physically. It's especially powerful when it's done physically. This scene happens when Moses is at work as a shepherd. He's leading his flock over a mountainside, and suddenly he sees a burning bush, and he goes over to see it, and God speaks to him out of the bush. Very physical. The exertion of climbing the mountain with the flock, the smell of the flock, the heat of the flame from the bush, 
And then uh, Moses takes his sandals off. Later, God says, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And so Moses is even feeling the feel of the ground beneath his toes. Very physical. Moses definitely feels God's presence. And God's presence is there for a purpose. The purpose is to get Moses to meet a real need, the need to get God's people out of slavery in Egypt. But Moses resists. He points out that he's a lousy public speaker, so God should send someone else. But this need is so important to God that he's not letting Moses off the hook. You need public speaking skills? You need public speaking skills, he says? I'll get you public speaking skills. Your brother Aaron, he's a good speaker. The most important thing is that whenever you are meeting the needs I'm sending you to meet, Moses, I'll be present with you. I'll give you whatever skills and tools you need. So Moses ends up with a new job, ambassador to Pharaoh, and God stays present with him through some amazing ways, some miracles. In fact, according to the Bible, Moses experienced God's presence more fully than anyone up to the time of Jesus. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. My story about working on Mr. Saylor's porch fits into this category. I was helping to meet a real need, Mr. Saylor's need to have a flat surface to go outdoors on. Now, it wasn't a giant need like ending slavery, and it wasn't a paid job, but it was work. And God is present in every kind of work, or could be. And I felt God's presence in that work, you know, in my body, my sore muscles. And one of the best things anyone ever said to me happened that week. My youth pastor said, you're making a difference in people's lives. Now let me tell you about a time I failed to experience God's presence in this category. When I was an IBM computer salesman, one of my biggest customers was a drug wholesale company. They had warehouses and they sold drugs, health and beauty aids, anything you'd find on the uh, shelves of a drugstore. They sold those to the drugstores. They they were the supplier and the drugstores would sell to you and me. Now most of their customers were mom and pop drugstores, and they were having a problem with inventory. As, more co- as drugs became more complicated and more kind of different stuff went on drugstore shelves, they were unable to keep up with organizing the inventory. So they were finding they were, like their, their customers were run out of stuff. So you go to the drugstore, you want to buy it, it wasn't there, next time you'd go to you know, Walmart or something. So that was a problem. And the other problem was sometimes they had too much stuff. And if you have too much of a drug, it just sits on the shelf and then it expires and it has to be thrown away. So it's driving up costs. So my customers' customers were having problems to the point of sometimes, you know, it threatened the existence of their business. So I was selling and installing an inventory control system for the wholesaler, my customer, that their customers could use to do better inventory planning and control. And that was meeting a real need. You know, again, not, a, not ending slavery, but it was a real need. And by meeting, you know, I was the one organizing meeting that need. That, that's pretty cool, really. But I have to say I never experienced or never felt God's presence in any of that work. 
I had it in mind that business was business and faith was faith and the two didn't really meet. So while I was proud of my work in the inventory control system, I missed the opportunity to feel God's presence in it. And who wants to miss an opportunity to feel God's presence anytime you can? My loss. What could I have done to open myself up to experiencing God's presence in inventory control? Looking back, I see that you can develop this way of experiencing God's presence by envisioning, by envisioning yourself in the face of the people you work with, seeing yourself in the face of others, putting yourself in their place. If I could have just connected with the difference my work would make in people's lives, maybe I could have recognized God's presence. I mean, it is hard to see God's presence in a, you know, in a computer system. Uh, but what if I could have visited some of the drugstores, my customers' customers? You know, what if I had talked to the store owner or the manager or one of the clerks or the people who are buying things there? What if I just opened my eyes to see the human value that my work was accomplishing? Well, let's move on to the third category. You can also experience God through your desires around your work. Doing what you truly desire can be a way of experiencing God's presence. The next two verses on your handout talk about this. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Your heart's desires. And he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. These two give kind of the, you know, the light, the happy and the, and the sad side of desires, right? Your you desire could be to, you love what you're doing and you want to experience God at the desires of your hearts. Or it could be your desire is to take something that's not good and make it better. Either way, God grants those desires. Now, I should point out, we all have a lot of twisted desires or false expectations or uh, uh, false hopes. Uh, and selfish motives, but if you get down to your true desires, if somehow you could be in touch with the desires God implants in your heart, then acting on them can be an experience of God's presence. And we're gonna show you a two-minute video clip about a young woman who has had this experience. It's something my creator has instilled in me. Wow. Now, for me, Fashion is neither a skill nor a deep desire. You know, it might be more of a, like, need of the world. <laughs> but God gave Megan a desire to do good fashion and to serve the people around her in fashion. And she feels God's presence when she follows that desire. That's awesome. My deepest desire comes into my work as a dad. Now, I've had a bunch of jobs in my life, and I've liked most of them, and I love the job I have now. But the one job that I most deeply desire to do, and to do well, is the job of parenting, of being a dad. And this became clear to me because one of the two strongest experiences I've ever had of God's presence was the birth of my first daughter. I have, I have two children, two daughters. And when my first daughter was born, well, before my first daughter was born, uh, I would sometimes have the experience of waking up in the middle of the night and you know, sitting up in bed and going, oh my gosh, there is no God. Like I'd have these nighttime doubts that would 
you know, wake me up and, I, and I, I'd just think, oh, there is no God. After my first daughter was born, I noticed that stopped happening. And so, you know, I can still put together all the intellectual questions and doubts and, you know, how could God be omniscient, omnipotent, and, and still is he, whatever, all those intellectual. But I don't have that ex- existential feeling of doubt about God anymore. And I realized it was because of this miracle of my daughter's, first daughter's birth, and when she was born, I had this desire to, I just wanted to be the best dad I could possibly be. Like, she was, like, God is kind of lending or placing her with with Kim and me, and I did this deep, deep, deep desire to be a good dad. Now, I just want to say to Hannah, my second daughter, <laughs> you know, I had the same experience with you. It's just it wasn't quite as surprising. <laughs> uh, I've loved being their, their, their dad. And if I could do one thing well in life, it would be to be as good of a dad as I can and as good of a husband as I can. When I do the work of being a dad, I feel God's presence. Throwing a ball, riding bike together, bikes together, getting a hug, correcting bad behavior, listening to the day's events, even if it's full of bad puns, taking a fear seriously, cleaning up dinner together, even changing a dirty diaper are all experiences of God's presence. Not every time. I haven't reached that level of spirituality yet. But enough that I really do feel, experience God's presence in my work of being a dad. Now, an example of this in the Bible is Mary. An example of this in the Bible is Mary. God gave Mary the desire to be a mother and the courage to say yes when the angel announced it to her. Even though she was warned, a sword will pierce your own soul too. So she knew it was gonna be tough being the mother of the Son of God. But did I say Moses experienced God's presence more strongly than anyone before Jesus? That's not quite right. Nine months before Jesus was born, Mary had this experience that the Spirit of God came upon her and overshadowed her, and in her womb the Son of God was conceived. So imagine that experience of God, the experience of God conceiving in her, or imagine to yourself, the experience of God conceiving in you the Son of God. I mean, what must it have been like to experience God like that? About 10 years ago, I realized that lots of mothers don't feel like their work as mothers is valued by society or even in the church. What a shame. I mean, mothers will say to me, I've heard this so many times now, uh, I feel like I'm taken for granted. You know, other, other jobs, pastor or missionary or leader or whatever, you know, or in the, or in the, uh, work world, you know, manager or create, creative person, whatever, all those, those feel validated, but I feel that the job of mother is not. What a shame because the single most important work in the Bible done by a human being is Mary's work in conceiving and bearing and raising our Savior. Without Mary giving birth, without Mary changing diapers, without Mary making dinner, washing clothes, teaching and forming character, keeping Jesus safe, and everything else it takes to raise a child, where would we be? 
It's the one human work in the Bible that's indispensable. You know, God could have used some other way to get the people of Israel out of Egypt, but if he was going to come to earth in the form of a human being, the Son of God, he had to have a mother. And Mary's work is the most important work in the Bible that's not done by God. Now, today is Mother's Day, and it's great that we get to celebrate the work of mothers. One of the few things that unites all of humanity is that everyone has a mother who gave them birth. No matter how different you are, I mean, there's all, if you think about it, there's not much that you have to have to be human, but, but a mother is something you have to have, otherwise you, you wouldn't be. Now, that might or might not be the person you call mother. Uh, and you, you might have had more than one person who's been a mother to you, who guided you or cared for you. And, and I say, the more mothering, the better. So it's great to celebrate all our mothers because mothering is a very important, a very godly kind of work. Now, I'd love to give a personal example about that, but if the quality of work is revealed by its outcome, then modesty prevents me from detailing just how good my mother is. So let me just say, Mom, thank you. I love you. We're talking about experiencing God through your desires around work. And there are lots of examples besides mother, father, and fashion designer. Artists and musicians come to mind, right? They're famous for being passionate about their work. Or you may express your desires through hobbies or interests outside of paid work. In fact, I remember, you know, because of this feeling of liking to work with my hands, I replaced the oxygen sensor in my car. And to do that, you have to, you crawl under the car, at least I had to because I had no place besides my driveway to do this. So you crawl under the car and it's all rusted and, and you get a special tool and bang on the wrench and get this thing out and put the new one in. And, and then about a year later, my mechanic said to me, did you replace the oxygen sensor on your car? I said, yeah. He said, I knew because you left the wrench there and now it's rusted. It's a permanent part of your muffler or your catalytic converter. Next time, he said, don't replace your own oxygen sensor. It's a tough job and it's hard to do right. But you know what? I feel the reality, even of God's presence, when I work with my hands. So I'm going to change my own oxygen sensor, but next time I'm going to take the wrench off. <laughs> even in the most mundane job, you can fulfill your desires, some of your desires, through work. You might desire order and organization. And that can be a gift to your workplace, even if organizer is not your main job. You might desire friendship and real connections with people. Every workplace needs more people who desire friendship and real connection. You might take pleasure in clear communication or a clean workplace or helping new people feel welcome and get up to speed. I hope God is giving all of us a desire to do our work with excellence. There's nothing we can do to reflect well on God, to praise our Savior in the places that we spend our time outside of church. There's nothing that we can do that better than being excellent in our work and excellent about caring the people we're among. Now, as I said, there's a danger in all human desires. And in particular, there's a danger of becoming obsessed or taking them too far. 
So, you know, obsession in our desires is not a good thing. And so following your desires, experiencing God in your desires, takes a certain level of spiritual maturity. Nonetheless, our truest desires, the desires implanted in our hearts by our Creator, can become ways of experiencing God's presence in our work. So how can you develop this, this uh, presence? You can develop this by expressing yourself in your work, perhaps to a co-worker or a friend. You can develop this by expressing your desire through your work. Now, some, sometimes you can do this you know, through the actual work you're doing, like, you know, like, like especially artists and musicians, you know, the actual artwork they're creating or, or the music. That in itself can be an expression. I also think doing a good budget can be an expression of your desire. The work itself can be an expression. Sometimes you, you can't fulfill your desires through your work, but then maybe it's valuable to just talk to someone about it, express them to a coworker, or if that's not appropriate, to a friend, just to acknowledge that, that we have desires for our work and to express them is a way of experiencing God in them. Well, I've come to the end. I've said you can experience God mentally or physically with words or without words. I'll try to fix this. I can tell it's booming. I've said that you can experience God mentally or physically with words or without words, and that experience can happen powerfully at work. I'll leave it like this so you can adjust it. And I've given three examples of categories, meeting real needs, your gifts and abilities, and fulfilling your truest desires. Now, I just thought we're about to move on to worship, and I'd I thought I'd point out the same categories apply to worship, right? So when you have, um, uh, when you look at pictures in the dome, if you wanted to do that right now, oh, there aren't any pictures in the dome today. Mostly we have pictures there, and you, that's a way of experiencing God right here in worship, to just look at the beauty, or to look at the beauty of the uh, artwork that we have in here. Another way is prayer in the chapel, and you'll be able to go, Ed is gonna t come and tell you how to do that. That's a way of experiencing God's presence mentally and with words, or even sometimes physically with words. We're going to be singing and praising, experiencing God's presence physically and with words, and communion. We're going to be experiencing God through the, the bread and wine of communion. So all these apply even in what we're about to do right now. So let me end us with a word of prayer. Dear God, we don't have to ask you to be present because you always are present. But I'm asking that each one of us could experience your presence more clearly, more delightfully in all our activities this week. Give us the experience of your presence in worship, in work, in personal and family time, in friendships and community life, and develop in us the practice of the presence of God. In Jesus' name, amen.